Hello, dear listener. This is The Optimist in Revolt. Falkowski is my guest this week. Uh, he's been involved in teaching and ministry for over 20 years. Among other things, he's taught Bible at King's Academy in Sunnyvale, California. He's served in ministry capacities at many churches around the Bay Area and is currently a minister at South Hills Church of Christ in Helena, Montana, which is decidedly not in the Bay Area. Uh, he holds a BA from William Jessup University in Christian Leadership and a master's degree in Theological Studies and specialized ministry from Western Seminary. He has a wife, two sons, is an avid outdoorsman, and enjoys sports, specifically the Oakland A's, which we won't hold against him. Um, I've known Scott since I was a kid when I thought he was really cool because he was young and energetic and good at sports. Uh, 20 years later uh, or so, uh, I still think Scott is really cool, but now it's mostly because he's a good defender of the faith, a strong Christian leader, and demonstrates Christ's vision uh, for what a Christian man ought to be. This is a guest for whom I hold uh, the utmost I mean, I respect all my guests, but I... I respect all of my guests, but I respect Scott a little bit more. Scott, thanks for coming on. How's it going? Uh, it's going great, Adam. Wow, thanks. Uh, that's uh, quite an honor, what you said there. Well, it's true, and you know, it is kind of a funny thing where you know, I was a kid, and you played softball with my dad and everything, so I'd see you out there, be like, oh, that's kind of a, you know, the way that that kids look at guys in their thirties. I think it was pretty, <laughs> you know, and now it's like, oh well, it's it's not just that he's good at softball; it's that he, uh, you know, listening to your sermons uh, throughout the years and stuff. It's just kind of like, man, this guy is uh, really after. Uh, the Lord's the Lord's heart. How are things in Montana? That's a kind of a change. Oh, it, it quite a change. Uh, getting used to, I mean, in the Bay Area, as you mentioned, you know, I can pretty much go outside and hike, jog, or ride my mountain bike almost every day of the year. And uh, today we were actually at about 50 degrees. And so, I mean, this may be my last mountain bike ride for the next four months. So I was really excited to get out in good weather. Uh, that's probably the biggest adjustment is just, you know, when the sun's out and if you want to go out, you, you know, whatever time of day it is, you better get out because you don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. It's, it's funny thinking of 50 degrees as being like nice outdoor weather. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's a complete uh, mindset shift. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, I guess we should just get into it. The thing I like to ask all my guests first is just kind of how it is that you uh, found yourself uh, a Christian, how you came oh. to Christ. So that's, uh, I mean, that's a long drawn out uh, answer because it was kind of a two stage process, which I think probably a lot of your listeners who have been, uh, you know, followers of Jesus for a long time can understand. Uh, I mean, my first uh, experience, uh, it was actually uh, in fourth grade at, uh, you mentioned the Kings Academy, but I was attending Valley Christian uh, when I was younger. And we had a chapel, so I was nine or 10 years old, and I just uh, was moved, you know, probably not understanding fully what was going on, and, you know, went up and talked uh, about who Jesus was, the need for a Savior, and, um, but, I mean, it really, really didn't take, I'll say, uh, you know, I was really young. Um, I, I grew up in a, a Christian home, so I didn't know, you know, things other than that. And, uh, you know, went through the motions, really. I mean, I remember, you know, when I was a high schooler sitting uh, at our church 
and just fallen asleep. I mean, I just, I was not <laughs> engaged. I was not, um, you know, I, I was a huge, still am an introvert, um, which is, uh, you know, you should do a podcast on that, how most preachers are actually introverts. Um, yep. They have no problem getting in front of three, 400 people. Um, but we had a youth group that was probably about 700 people. And that was my worst nightmare. And so I did absolutely nothing to connect. You know, I stayed in the corner um, and really just did not engage uh, through college, you know, went through the motions. And then uh, it was uh, at Campbell uh, after Annette and I were married. So 31 years ago, where, you know, kind of, it really started to take uh, for sure. And, uh, you know, one of the big, big events in my life and actually my family's life would have been uh, my first promise keepers at Oakland Coliseum, mm. just being there with 55,000 men. Um, and, you know, early on when Bill McCartney started that, uh, the, the speakers were like, they were the top seven Christian evangelical speakers in the country. I mean, it was heavy hitters who just challenged you, lifted you up. Um, and then the singing and just being with 50,000 50, guys, you know, just singing their hearts out. And that really was a catalyst. And then we started to get involved in sports ministry at Campbell and just through God's sense of humor and uh, Gordon Kruger, who was one of our elders and just started to get engaged and, you know, kind of went, you know, there's, there's more to faith. Um, and it was actually uh, the wife of the minister at the time who pulled me aside and said, you know, Scott, um, I just got back from this conference and they talked all about you. You know what you are? You're cocooning. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? But that, that was just, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do sports just for myself. I enjoy it. You know, I mean, I was a good guy, but ministry was not a focal point. And then, you know, kind of, I'll say rededicated my life. Um, but that's, you know, in my early twenties is really when I started pursuing Jesus with my whole heart. So. Yeah, I think, I think you're right that that is a, a, a really common experience for people who go, grow up in Christian homes where it's just kind of like, that's one of the things that you do is you, yeah. ex, you know, accept Christ and, and you are a Christian. That's just kind of what we are in our family, the same yeah. way that we're, you know, that we eat turkey on Thanksgiving. Uh, sure. yeah. And and so it is, it takes real genuine effort to pursue Christ. And I think mm -hmm. that that's, that's what gets lost on a lot of us as we're growing up through high school. And like you're saying, trying to avoid being seen for a lot of us yeah. <laughs> um, as, as much as possible. So Yeah, I, I, just one quick thing on that. I mean, it really is for youth, uh, for young adults, it's, you know, making faith your own you know, as opposed to faith, like culturally or your family, you know, but really developing your own faith. And that, that can take time for a lot of us. Yeah. And I think that if you, if you don't do that, that's kind of where you end up. If it's not yours, you don't have any desire to keep it at all. Right. Yeah. If you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, if it doesn't make sense, if you're, you know, now, I don't mean to harp on the eating turkey analogy because I did not intend to go that way. But it's like someday you decide, oh, I like turkey, and that's why I enjoy eating it on Thanksgiving. It's not just something that we do, right. and it's 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 the same thing with with. I mean, again, the 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 heretical nature of uh, 
comparing Christianity to turkey eating. But you get what I'm saying, where it's like, you know, you, you, you got to decide for yourself and, and, um, and make it your own because otherwise it's not going to stick. And I've told the cool. story a lot of times about my mom saying, hey, when you go off to college, there's a lot of people who don't, they're not pursuing their faith anymore, mm-hmm. so make sure not to do that. And I was like, sure, mom, sure thing. <laughs> and then I, th- yeah. where I was off in college, not pursuing my faith, just like I promised her I wouldn't do. Sure. Yeah. Because um, it wasn't mine yet. Yep. Um, switching gears a little bit, what song is best? Uh, that is, that's a trick question. I mean, come on. Have you ever had anybody say, oh yeah, I've just got one? Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the person like movies or songs. Okay, what genre? What, you know, but I'll, I'll give it my best. Is it okay if I say more than one? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was just thinking, uh, just since I'm a minister from a, you know, a worship standpoint, um, one of the best uh, songs, not just worship songs I ever heard was uh, on the offering album king of glory by uh, third day i just love the crescendo in that and just it really draws you into uh, the theme of you know the king of glory but now more modern i would say oceans by hillsong mm-hmm. um but uh and i'm kind of i'm weird um because now i want to go grunge because probably two <laughs> of my favorite songs are um Definitely Interstate Love Affair by Stone Temple Pilots and then mm-hmm. Even Flow by Pearl Jam is just I can go there all the time. So I'm all over the map. <laughs> that's that's a fair list though. It's funny, <laughs> Oceans is a song that I just didn't know. Yeah. And it's really weird because it seems like it was like the biggest song in evangelical Christianity for a really long time. For a while. And yeah. somehow I just missed it. And even now, I've heard it a bunch of times, and I cannot tell you how it goes. And I don't know why that is, but it's a, you know, obviously it's a very moving song. And every time I hear it, I'm like, oh, this is such a great song. But for yeah. some reason, it just won't stick in my head. I don't know why that is. Even huh. Flow, on the other hand, does stick in my head. Oh, and I can my definitely, goodness. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, what, what person whom you've never met and outside of the Bible has had the biggest impact on your spiritual life? Uh, I would say Eugene Peterson. Uh, for sure. Uh, he uh, is a pastor to pastors, would be his title, uh, passed away a few years ago. But his writing, and he wrote for for just, you know, the lay leader, but he also wrote specifically for ministers. Uh, he was, a, a you know, as a young minister, went into his first church calling and thought he knew everything. And then after about 14 months of sermons, he had run out. It was like, okay, now what do I do? And so, you know, he was one of those guys who was always very honest uh, with his struggles as a minister and really tried to prepare uh, the next generation for, you know, you really got to take it seriously. You know, you're, unless you're totally relying on God and really on your knees, um, you're going to struggle with it. And so he wrote, uh, just wonderful books, specifically for pastors, Five Stones for Pastors, one of my favorites, but just so many. And then he, you know, he wrote the message and just his ability to take scripture, um, you know, from the original languages and then try to bring it into, um, you know, most people won't call it a translation, but uh, definitely a readable form in modern language. Uh, I mean, it's the Message Bible is just brilliant for that. And so, uh, you know, funny story, we were up at uh, going up to Glacier National Park seven or eight years ago, and he actually lived in Kalispell in Montana. 
Um, and so I, I got his email address from the navigators who printed his books and uh, emailed him. I, you know, hey, you want to grab coffee? But I never heard from him. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Two things come to mind. One is the the necessity for taking ministry seriously, and the the necessity for a minister to ministers, right? Where it's like, mm. like you said, if you're not fully reliant on God and seeking wise counsel through that, then you're <laughs> like, because that's something that I've often wondered about, like preaching ministers, where it's like. How do you do? You just after a while, you just have the hits, and you pull out the hits. You know, you, you you recycle the same. Or you know, if you're if you're preaching expositorily, do you just go through the Bible and then start over again with the same sermons? And so it's, um, so that came to mind. And then just on the message, uh, uh, thing, it's really interesting because I talked to my dad, and I am one of those people who won't call it a translation, yeah. but I think it's a valuable tool, right? Yeah. And so, because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. he, my 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 dad, really really likes it. Uh, I you know I'm. I have like a, I bring out all the, when I'm reading, I bring out all the translations and try and do that sort of thing. But just as a sitting down reading it tool, I think it, I think it it can be, you know, if you're utilizing it correctly, it's one of, it's one of the better tools out there, I think. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, I I mean, to that, I, when I study and prepare, I'll have NASB, NIV. So I'm kind of going down the line, if you will, then to the message. And, you know, I'll read the message after I've done NASB and NIV four or five times in my preparation. And then I'll go, okay, so what is Eugene's, you know, what maybe are thoughts that he picked out or something? And it, it like you said, I think it's a great compliment. Um, can I comment on your your expository versus topical sure. type of yeah. hits? Um, so if you talk to, you know, some of the the guys who have been grinding it for, you know, 30, 40 years, the John Pipers and, you know, people like that or Bill Hybels, um, you know, or Matt Chandler, you know, I, I recently, he was going through the book of John and, you know, it took him a year and a half, mm-hmm. you know, so when you're doing um, expository and you're going book by book, you're probably not going to get through the whole that's Bible in your lifetime. <laughs> yeah, that's a really, really <laughs> you know? good point. So, and that, and that's why I choose that because I know that topically, um, even though I, I love to tell stories and like you mentioned your dad, just listening to his stories when we get together. Um, and I love story, but I know that um, even spirit led, I'm going to run out of topics. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there's a danger of it becoming me and my narrative as opposed to scripture. And so I've, it's easier for me. Um, and I think it's been fruitful for me to just uh, go expository. And right now we're working through Acts and Genesis, book of Acts and the book of Genesis. Um, and I'm calling it beginnings because I'm new at the church. So it's a beginning for me. It's a beginning for the church. And then let's look at the beginning of the church and the beginning of the world. So you know, we've been on that for nine months and I'm probably halfway through. <laughs> yeah, I just finished a reading of Acts. I think it's the first time I've read it from front to back, front to back. But, um, and it's just like, oh man, there's just so much going on in oh, there. And yeah. then the what, this is way off the subject, but why not? Uh, there's this weird um, shift in perspective in a couple of verses mm-hmm. where when Luke's writing, he's like, and then we did this and yep, we did yep. that. And it's, yep. I spent a really long time like falling down a rabbit hole of like what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's got um, 
in acts like there's multiple hinge pieces right you know when you're going from peter to paul you know jews to the gentiles and then you hear you know once he's on the missionary journeys and then he reveals to us you know i've kind of been there the whole time <laughs> yeah you know um which then because once paul starts going into all those crazy things it really has emphasis what's when it's an eyewitness saying mm-hmm. yeah he was shipwrecked and he was because you know I was there and, you know, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. yeah, Luke's, Luke's a fabulous writer. I mean, obviously his, you know, s- schooling as a doctor, um, just the way he writes and lays things out is brilliant. I think. Yeah. It's really interesting. Also looking at Paul's experience th- through Luke's lens, although I hate to use th- that terminology, but yeah. it, it is really interesting Paul going through all this crazy stuff and basically laying out an apologetic a couple times where it's, he always from Luke, Luke emphasizing, he always starts with the gospel in everything that he does. Every mm-hmm. time he's addressing mm-hmm. these people, it's, it's always yeah. gospel led, which is, you know, you find that throughout scripture though. A lot of these books that are on a different subject are like, but by the way, here's the foundation for what we're talking about. Yeah. 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 Um, true. Um, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing the church today? Well, I mean, I think if you asked that 10 months ago, you would have got a different answer, right? But so uh, I'll speak, can I speak temporarily? Obviously, sure. it's it, it's COVID. And with that, you know, there's just a couple of things. And, and Montana, at least now, is a completely different situation. I mean, I know with California, like Campbell Church, they got to meet on Sunday. And now, as of yesterday, you can no longer meet, you know, and so... Man, and, and, and I think that's been one of the biggest challenges is um, becoming reactionary because unfortunately we have to, we've had to adjust so much. Um, and so the challenge of, okay, we think we have it figured out. Here's our plan. Oh, now we have the new directive to step back and, oh, you know, or you can't even sing. And so from a leadership standpoint, that can become pretty frustrating. And then you come into my situation where I arrive in Montana mid-January, I move a net out mid-March. And then, so I had a month and a half of normal ministry. Mm-hmm. And then now it's all, okay, what do we do now? I don't even know my context. I don't know my city. Um, thankfully, I have a great, great eldership and we've worked through it. But I, I think that's been the tough thing. Like not, you know, first day when we opened up, we had 12 of our 120 people there. Mm-hmm. And that's just, wow. So, you know, what are you expecting? And so just rolling with the punches, which then also becomes a, a real positive that I'll answer when you ask that question. Um, but uh, so I can couple kind of the long-term with that short-term answer is because, uh, um, you know, there's been books and studies about consumer Christianity, you know, just people who attend a church just to get what they want out of it, or, you know, CEO Christians, Christmas and Easter onlys, you know. And so now that uh, you can't meet, or now that uh, you can meet, but there's restrictions, so it's not the same feel, or you uh, are worried about COVID or spreading it to others, um, it's can become really easy now to just completely drop off the face of the earth, you know, because if you, if you didn't attend for a month, you know, 10 or 11 months ago, people would notice, 
Oh, they haven't been here. Let me contact mm-hmm. them. But now it's, you know, uh, well, I, I can't, there's no way to track them. And so, you know, you have to make phone calls. And, and so it's, it's really easy now for people to fall through the cracks. And unfortunately, I think there's a, a lot of people who are already moving that way um, anyway. Um, and then, you know, with the tools that we had to embrace, uh, it can just, you know, we're all like that. I want, I want it easy. I want it comfortable. Um, hey, my football team's on at 10 o'clock. Now that there's a live stream, I'll just watch it at five. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll watch the, the football game at 10, enjoy that. You know, then there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, it, you start to get out of rhythms and habits. And if we were already a country moving in that direction, um, there's going to be a lot of work um, to kind of get our footing back, I think. Yeah, I think you lose the community. And like you're saying, the, yeah. hey, I'm, I'm concerned about you. You don't know what's, you know. Yeah. And I, I read something about, who knows, the studies are changing every day. But something like 30% <laughs> of people since this thing started are like Christians, church attending Christians, regular attenders, I guess would be mm-hmm. a good way to put it, are mm-hmm. done. Like they, like they stopped going online. They stopped yeah. even really, really associating with their church. And that's such a, that's a tough thing. And like you're saying that the online stuff is helpful. It's a good tool, but yeah. it's not really a substitute for, uh, yeah. for gathering as a body. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's one really dear couple here. They're, they're an older couple and they just can't leave their house. And, you know, I just, I, I just feel for them. I mean, nine months of, you know, they, they haven't even been able to interact with their family. And so they're just, you know, desiring that community. They understand it, but yet they can't because of their health and their age, take the chance of joining us. And, you know, so your, your mind, you know, as their pastor is like, boy, I sure hope we're out of this soon, because if this goes on for another year or so, a normal human being, uh, even a 30-year-old human being, you know, we are made to be in a relationship. We're made to be in community. We are made for a hug. And um, uh, it's just painful. Yeah. And it is interesting mentioning the age thing because, you know, I am 30 and people my age and younger are kind of more, we're less connected than, than previous generations. So I think about for the older generations that how much more difficult it must be for them who are used to that connection being mm-hmm. a connection looks a, a specific way to them yes, that it yeah. might look different to someone my age, but still at my age, I'm like, no, I need to be in a room with people singing and, you know, shaking hands. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and, yeah. yeah uh, uh, God did create us to live in community as it turns out. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, the Bible does say there's no substitute for gathering. And yeah. I mean, that's the truth. It is true. Um, hey, what do you put on your hot dogs? <laughs> I'm just a regular, I, I really am. I mean, I'm just ketchup, mustard, probably honey mustard, a good honey mustard, mm. and then some relish. But, um, but you know, they have to, okay, ballpark's okay, but a grilled dog, whew, nothing beats it, so. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, the older I get, the more I like hot dogs. I don't know what's going on with me, but I'm kind of, it's become one of my favorite foods, and so it's just, it's an interesting thing. What do you put on it? Uh, and, and the different preparation methods and, and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, I think the grill is the best. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's got to be a nation's or, you know, one of those good quality ones. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big fan of, uh, not a sponsor of the podcast, but I'm a big fan of Nathan's hot dogs is probably my yes. number one. And then I like Hebrew national. Hebrew, yep. 
yeah. uh, is pretty good. And then, you yeah. know, they kind of, a friend of mine and I did a hot dog taste test where we kind of tested the different uh, price points. And uh, I will say bar S is oh. not great on, <laughs> on the grill. It <laughs> kind of melts, which is not what you want from a hot dog. No, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> what's the best argument against Christianity? Uh, and why are you not convinced by it? I, 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 I mean, the suffering, you know, why would a good God, a caring God, a loving God uh, allow that to happen? I, I think is one that all of us, even those of us who have been, you know, Jesus followers for 30 to 40 years, I mean, we know intuitively it, it, it's because we live in a fallen world, but uh, it's still, I mean, when you see, we just had a, a, a family um on the highway here just hit some ice on a bridge and went over the bridge and they had a five-year-old in the back and the five-year-old wasn't, wasn't his fault, you know, and uh, they all perished and, you know, because they went into the, the Clark Fork of the Missouri river. And I mean, that, that hurts. That's, that's tough. Even I don't know them, but you, you can feel the pain and anguish there. And so um, it's, it's a it's a valid argument until you know you start working through the answers and you know the book of job for me and i think for a lot of people um is is a really good book to go to to answer that question um you know job says that bad will fall on the good and the bad good will fall on the bad people and the good and, and it is it is because of freedom of choice, you know, our free will, um, my selfishness, my desire for comfort that um, I'm going to struggle with that. And, and, you know, you can under, if somebody wants to look back and, you know, that is a great argument to say, yeah, if that's your God, and I, you know, I know Richard Dawkins probably said, if, if that's your God, I, I don't want any part of him, you know, that, you know, allows that to happen. Uh, but on the other hand, for me, and it takes a, a long time, I think, I just have to know, he, you know, he is paying attention. Uh, he will intervene occasionally. I mean, how many times, you know, somebody says, well, I just got in that accident. How come he couldn't keep me safe? Well, how many other times did he keep mm -hmm. you safe? You know, we don't even think about the 99. It's always the one, right? But um, it's a tough one to answer, especially you lose a loved one, uh, you know, at memorial services. But I, I just, as I look at the thread uh, of the Old Testament leading to Jesus and then God sacrificing his son and his son's willingness to um, be spit on, be beat up, be called names, be whipped, go to a cross, um, even though he, he anguished over that, you know, but your will, God, because he knew that, you know, we have a disconnect in our relationship with God. And the only thing that can take care of that is that perfect sacrifice. But yet we're still there on earth and uh, bad things are going to happen to good people. Yeah, it. it that's a very common, like that's been kind of the common thread throughout each guest I've had. Most of them have said, yeah, the problem yeah. is bad stuff happens. Um, and it is kind of, well, yes, but when you look at the way that redemption works, 
you know, it's, it's, it, it is a hard, like you said, it's a hard thing in the moment to kind of wrap your head around, especially, yeah. you know, you've got your emotions tied up in it and when it's someone close to you and, and that problem of, um, if that's your God, I don't want any part of it. Um, I've shared before is, is a, is something that someone said to me like 10 years ago and I just kind of shoved it to the back of my mind and didn't deal with it. And it's bothered mm-hmm. me ever since. Um, I mean, <laughs> It's been better recently as I've kind of gotten into, oh, this is how it kind of works out. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, he also loves you because he created you and it's better to exist than to not exist. Um, and then yeah. not only that, but he redeems you from your sin. Um, yeah. You know, uh, personally, you know, Annette and I, more myself than Annette, you know, leading up to this opportunity at South Hills, I felt I was in a wilderness um, for about 13 years of, I'm not going to say suffering, but there definitely were times of suffering. There were some difficult times. And, you know, I kept asking, I, God, I am pursuing you. Uh, you know, oh, man, this is hard. This is rough. Can't you see that what this is doing to my family? How about me and my health? And, you know, sometimes it takes 12, 13 years, probably even longer and then, of course, hindsight is wonderful when, you know, you arrive and go, oh, that kind of makes sense, you know. So I'm, I'm blessed that I've had some of those hindsight opportunities, but I can understand when you're in the moment and you're in it and there's no light at the end of the tunnel and, you know, you know God's with you, but yet you're still here on earth getting beat up. It's, it can be difficult to wrestle with. Yeah, it's hard to kind of take the long view of things and to really realize that God has kind of the ultimate long view (laughs) where it's like, you know, he's got all of eternity figured out. And so we got to kind of, as I always say, shove that into our little finite brains is a tough thing to do, Yeah, uh, especially when you're in the middle of it. Yeah, we, we, so I'm just finishing up the story of Jacob from Genesis and, you know, it didn't dawn on me until I did it, uh, taught it this past time. Um, You know, he probably went to Laban. He probably deceived his father, Isaac, when he was about 40 years old. And he needed a lot of help from God to become the man that God wanted him to be. And so he was with Laban for 20 years. And that 20 years was miserable. Yes, he had Rachel, you know, the love of his life. Um, like we all have that kind of support, but he had, you know, his father-in-law changed his wages 10 times, which means probably more than that and lied to him and deceived him. And just, he kind of got broken down and then he meets God as he's exiting after 20 years and has that wrestling match. And he's like, okay, I I am going to give control to you, God. And then we see what happens. Yes. He still makes mistakes. I mean, he did with Joseph and his, the other brothers, but you know, he gave up control. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's often the hardest part, uh, is the control, is the control aspect. Yeah. Um, What, what's the biggest strength in the church today? (laughs) Uh, so I mean, two things, I I think the force forcing us to pivot and, and roll with the punches and change and adjust, uh, has been huge. And for the people outside of leadership within the church, you know, I think the realization and understanding how important community 
is. And so the church brings that community, that support, that, you know, you're down and out, we can help. And, and so we've had to adjust to now, how can we do that? And it's forced us to look at different avenues um, to support each other, which I think is great, which leads into probably, I, I think the biggest strength now, and this is a blessing of COVID. You'll hear this on many minister podcasts, but it has forced churches who may have been stuck in their normal routine to kind of get to a place that they should have been five or 10 years ago with regards to social media, Zoom, live streaming and technology. And so I really think God um, took advantage of this horrible pandemic to get most of us to go, okay, so now, you know, oh, there's a generation that connects with technology. Mm -hmm. hmm. Now we have to use it. And it's, you know, not just for, you know, the younger generation, but um, you know, I see my congregation, my, you know, older generations, they're, they're getting into it, enjoying it, taking advantage of it. They're Zoomers now. And um, so I think it's something that the church has needed to do. And obviously, you know, the top 10% of churches that have been with it, if you will, they've already embraced technology, you know, Greg Crochelle with Life Church, he's been doing it for 15 years or whatever. But for the rest of us down, you know, the smaller churches, the local churches, um, you know, it's, it's forced us to do something we should have done already. And so I think that's been great. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, the way that, that God kind of can use something like this to kind of shatter complacency yeah. and, and, and kind of highlight an area that isn't necessarily, it's not like churches were wrong to not use technology before necessarily, yeah. but, it, but it is an area where it's like, hey, there's this huge opportunity to reach people who are yeah. younger and to, like you're saying, you know, it's kind of a Zoom is kind of a cool thing. I mean, we're able to do this first of all, but it's also a thing where it's like it's a way to people for for us to connect. Like I don't it's obviously not a replacement for physical physically being in the in someone else's yeah. presence, but yeah. it is something that's nice for kind of an older generation to kind of discover maybe and be like, "Oh, yeah. I can, you know, talk, I can yeah. have this thing in addition to hopefully when all this stuff." Well, yeah, and think up. about how how many in the older generation grandparents are now zooming with their grandkids that right. Yeah, I mean, we would see commercials about that, right? But now they're doing it and they're comfortable and they're like, "Wow, I can this works. I can spend a half an hour, an hour and, you know, enjoy, even though we're 3000 miles away or something. So, yeah. Yeah. It is a, it's a definitely a, a different kind of connection, but it is connection and some connection yeah. is better than no connection, I suppose. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the, the timing aspect. I mean, so, you know, scripture says that Jesus came into the world at just the right time and, you know, Rome, Pax Romana, all that different stuff, you know, he came in at the precise time, where his impact would be at its highest. I mean, scripture tells us that, but also think about the pandemic. If, if this had happened, yes. And I know Spanish flu hundred years ago. Okay. That was a weird timing, but, but if this had happened 15, 20 years ago and we were just starting to adapt some technology, I mean, it, it wouldn't have worked yeah. as well. And so it's, I mean, it's pretty cool if you look at it that way. Yeah. I've thought about that a lot with like, 
trying, just kind of playing in my head with what would we have done? You know, yeah. I, I work with kids at a school and we're able to, it's granted, it's not great, oh, but, yeah. Yeah. but it's, it's better than nothing. And so I just kind of wonder what we yeah. would have done if, if the technology wasn't there. Yeah. Um, uh, what I'd like to do now is read some uh, scripture from the Bible. We can kind of pull it apart, talk about it. You'll know more about it than I will, and I'll be embarrassed, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, <laughs> this is from Zechariah. Uh, chapter 10, verses 2 through 7. Uh, I'm starting it in a weird place, but I'm okay with that. Um, For the household gods utter nonsense, and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From him shall come a cornerstone, uh, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together. They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them. They shall put shame to the riders on horses. I will strengthen the house of Judah. I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them, and they shall be as though I had not rejected them. Uh, For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. The children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. Uh, There's a lot going on there, Adam. Yeah, there's a ton going on. I know. I was like, I wanted to parse it down a little bit, but man, it was just, it's all so good. So, I mean, you've got uh, so much of the prophets just, you're looking at a God's chosen people, a nation that just gets into this cycle of, oh, yeah, God, we're with you. Oh, we're going to go our own way. And you just look at, you know, your own self, myself. It's like, uh, how often do I get in that cycle? Oh, I haven't prayed in a week. Oh, my gosh. What? Oh, you know, why why you know paul says you know i do the things i don't want to do and (laughs) you know it's tough but the whole household idol thing is really interesting because we looked at that as well with um jacob when rachel steals him from laban and um that that's an interesting subject because it it could have been just these idols that are made for Baal or whatever but it, more than likely it was ancestor worship too. And so these houses back in those societies, you know, you'd have 20, 30, hey, there's great grandma and you would pray to them to intercede on your behalf. And so here you've got God trying to introduce this monotheistic group of people into this, you know, the land of pluralism and uh, polytheism and I mean even Abraham the guy he chooses to to run the whole show comes from a polytheistic world and doesn't even know who God is until God says hey buddy you know here's the deal um, and so one of the the best books I read uh, Tim Keller on counterfeit idols counterfeit gods and just he, he takes phrases like that and, you know, we don't think of idols anymore here in the United States, 
but you know, graven images and all that type of stuff. But then he puts it into a proper context. And what do I elevate to that status uh, uh, vital in my life? You know, is it my success? Is it, you know, well, that was a great sermon. Thanks for the, you know, the pats on the back, money, um, you know, whatever it may be. That's the exact same thing. Just as temporary as a wooden image was, this is temporary. It's fleeting. It's going to let you down. It's, you know, things of this world are, are not going to sustain. And so, I mean, that's been a problem for thousands of years. Yeah. It's a, uh, this is two weeks in a row. I'm mentioning Vody Bauckham. Are you familiar with Vody Bauckham at all? I'm not. Sorry. He's a, he runs the African Christian university in Zambia, Africa. Um, but, but it was interesting. I, I saw a video where they were, it was like one of those panel videos where they're, uh, asking these panels, these questions. And, mm-hmm. and they said, what's the, they, I kind of stole this question for my own podcast purposes, but <laughs> what, what's the biggest challenge facing the church? And he said, idolatry. And it's, and it, it really, I mean, it's when you get to the root of a lot of the things that are sure. kind of surface level problems, it all goes back to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I, I would, I mean, it's, you know, Blaise Pascal or um, Bill Hybels and Holy Discontent. I mean, there's, there is a void that's going to be filled in your life, in your heart, one way or the other, you know, whether it's by those tangible things and you're just going to keep, you know, I always look at the woman at the well and, you know, yes, it really appears that she had some, some issues, obviously, you know, married five times living with another guy, but her problem was it was her identity and relationships. And Mm -hmm. she just was not feeling loved. And so she tried to fill it, you know, with these relationships with these men. And, um, you know, even my wife, we've been married for 31 years, you know, I'm going to let her down, she's going to let me down, you know, we're going to partner and try to work through this. But, you know, there's only one person who's not going to let us down <laughs> yeah and uh yeah even the uh what is it? something like a even the best person is <laughs> a terrible god essentially yeah, yeah there's yeah. something like that that's out there that's yeah. a quote from somebody but i don't know who it is so, uh, <laughs> yeah i remember we had uh one of our men's retreat speakers like 20 years ago you know one of his comments was jesus couldn't even trust his 12 disciples i mean think yeah. about that he, yeah. he he calls them you know these are going to be my guys and yet he couldn't, he couldn't trust them yeah. um, until they got the Holy Spirit. Then it was like, all right, here we go. Game on. But kind of interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And, and, you know, we look at those guys like, man, what a bunch of idiots, you know, they were walking around yeah. with Jesus and they should have, and it's like, man, I would have done the, exa- I would have done worse. I'm certain yeah. of it. Like I, I would have, you know, I would have yep. denied Christ four times at least. So Well, it's, it's so unfair. I mean, that's, condensing of three years of their life to a bunch of highlights or lowlights. I yeah. mean, it's yeah. not fair. What did they do the other 90% of their time? Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Scott, thank you for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. It's a, uh, it's good just to talk to you and it's good to uh, it is. kind of probe into these sorts of, uh, heavy topics. Well, I appreciate it, Adam. Thank you for asking me. It was a, a joy to be with you. Definitely. Definitely.